Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, welcome to another episode. And today I have a special guest with me, a fellow chaplain, but a Buddhist chaplain. Um, Sergio Moreno is his name. And I just want to say thank you and welcome. So, Sergio, welcome, um, welcome to the Thank podcast. You. It's very good to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, first things first. And one of the things I, I like to ask our guest is, what is your definition of spirituality? Mm, this is a, a great question, um, and one that I've thought about a lot. Obviously, um, for me, at the core of spirituality is how we make meaning, um, how we create meaning. And a lot of that has to do with when, uh, when we are faced with major life events, but also just the everyday, ordinary things, how it is that we um, make meaning of these things. And so it's, it's about looking at our narrative. It's about looking about, uh, at, at different spiritual arenas, as I like to think of it. And this has to do with personal, uh-huh. how I see myself, how I relate to myself uh, in, in connection to, to others, Interpersonal, how I connect and relate to those nearest to me and dearest to me. Community, uh, meaning how I belong and find my place in a community and an identity with a group. Um, but also transcendental, what it is beyond me uh-huh. um, and beyond beyond others that, um, that gives my life meaning. Um, so it's a very existentialist approach um, to spirituality um, uh, about seeking uh, to make meaning of, of life. Mm. So that's where I find um, myself these days in terms of spirituality. Um, a lot of times the transcendent part, uh, that's where you know, different religious expressions come in mm-hmm. and religious traditions. But I think you know, if I had to put it in a few words, it, it's about how we make meaning. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey in like where you were and how you get to this point uh, and everything else like that? Sure. Um, well, the, the short of it is that I uh, grew up in a, in a Protestant home. Um, I come from a long line on both sides of my family of ministers in the Nazarene Church. Um, the Nazarene Church is a, is a church that is better known around the world than it is here in the States, actually, although it's headquartered here in Kansas City. But they're a very missionary-focused church, and that's the church I grew up in. And I actually went to a Nazarene university um, in Oklahoma where I... Um, where I got uh, my my undergrad degree in um, ministry and theology, um, and then through a series of events and just a lot of um, you know living life and experiencing life, um, over the course of several years, I came out um, really uh, walking away from that faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was a, it did not um, it did not fit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I uh, I come from a very loving uh, and, and truly Christian family where I, I have been embraced and loved through it all. Um, and then, you know, many years later, um, probably nine or ten years later, after I walked away from that faith of my upbringing and my embedded theology, um, I came to find Buddhism. 
Um, and uh, so I uh, started attending a Buddhist center here in town, mm -hmm. Ruby May Buddhist Center, um, and started developing relationships with teachers and other spiritual friends there. Um, and pretty soon found that that was a path that uh, really worked for me, that made a lot of sense to me, that felt right. And so eventually, um, through the Rimei Center, I found my own teacher. And I've been practicing, uh, a practicing Buddhist now for about nine years or so. Wow. But I always try to, to make it clear that I did not leave Christianity to become a Buddhist. Uh -huh. um, in many ways, I still identify with Christianity. Uh -huh. um, I, uh, I have, most of my family is Christian. Um, culturally, I'm very much a Christian. Um, and so uh, I did not leave Christianity to become a Buddhist. Uh, yeah. This came many years later. Right. So, and so that's that. Then a few years ago, um, uh, as my practice in Buddhism was deepening, I, that call to ministry that I had had earlier was kind of being rekindled. And so I had to figure out, well, how do I do ministry uh -huh. uh, within the Buddhist context? And that's yeah. how um, I came to find uh, chaplaincy and spiritual care. And so that has been my, my professional path for the last three years now. Wow, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. is, is there a, a particular uh, denomination of Buddhism? Sure. That? Yeah, so Buddhism, uh, as you may know, is, is an ancient religion. It's about 2,500 years old, founded by the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, um, in, in northern India. And since then, so there are three main vehicles or schools of Buddhism. The Theravada, which is the, the school of the elders, the, the oldest school. Um, then there's Mahayana, which is the greater vehicle. And then many centuries later comes um, Vajrayana, which is the more, um, I would say, esoteric or mystical um, mm. school of Buddhism. Um, and these are not schisms. These are just natural sort of progressions and evolutions of, of, the, of the religious and spiritual path. Um, and I belong to the school of Tibetan Buddhism, which falls under Vajrayana and Mahayana Buddhism. Mm. Um, so I practice uh, in the Tibetan tradition mm -hmm. uh, of Vajrayana Buddhism. But in many ways, really, I identify mostly as a Mahayanist. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's um, the, the school of Buddhism that I belong to and that I've been trained in and studied and practiced. And so I belong to a local Dharma center here in town, um, the Rimei Buddha Center. And that's where I practice and teach and, um, and learn. Yeah, and then you also, you said you're a chaplain at a local hospital. That's right. And, yeah. and uh, you said that you had to find a way to because you, you felt like a, a sense of calling to come back to to ministry to minister to those who are uh -huh. uh, hurting yes, <laughs> I guess absolutely. Uh, so what, what did that look like and uh, like what was the process for you to become a chaplain well very practically speaking um, the first thing I had to do was leave my prior job this was really a midlife career change for me, I was working in a, in a corporate environment, in a creative environment, and so I left that, um, that work after many years, and then I found an internship for a clinical pastoral education here in Kansas City, and I, I did my first um, summer internship, which was an intensive program, um, and I can tell you that at the end of the first week, I knew, uh, it's very rare that I know something without a shadow of a doubt, <laughs> but I knew after the first week that I was in the right place and mm -hmm. that this was um, what I had been looking for. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it felt so right for me to be doing this work, to be learning 
um, this work uh, of spiritual care and chaplaincy. And so after that first summer internship, I did an extended internship uh, unit. And then um, I was accepted into the residency program. And so I completed my first residency. Um, and I am now completing my second uh, year residency. Um, and so as you know, um, in clinical pastoral education, it's sort of a work study program where you are you spend half of your time in, in um, patient care mm-hmm. and half of your time in the classroom setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last three years. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And, and so when you are encountering uh, different patients, what is what is it? look like when you when you engage with a with a patient um i i've told many people of the listeners here that our profession chaplaincy is a interreligious profession so uh, we're not there to proselytize Mm -hmm. we're there to just serve the people absolutely where where they are so how, how does how does uh your practice look along with when you're bringing your religion in because we can't leave our religion at the door that's right we're kind of you know the vessels of it so go ahead i love this question and it happens often that people um suppose that i only care for buddhist patients Um, but that is not the case and in fact i've had very few opportunities to care for buddhist patients um, at the hospital where i work Um, so uh uh, yeah this is a multi-faith interfaith setting Um, as you said there is no proselytizing happening it really is about centering the patient for me when I walk into a room, um, whether the patient is Christian or Muslim or Jewish or atheist, um, what it comes down to is how can I best meet this patient's needs as they are presenting in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I bring into the room is my own person and my own personhood. And part of that personhood is the fact that I am a practicing Buddhist, but I'm also a lot of other things. Right. Um, and so I bring my whole person into the room. And as I center the patient, I, uh, I seek ways to encounter, for our stories to encounter each other. Mm. Um, uh, and really what I'm doing mostly is companioning. Mm. Um, a lot of times, as you know, um, the hospital is not anybody's uh, favorite place to be. Um, most of the time, uh, people are there uh, because they're hurting. Um, and so how can I best center this patient? And what that means for me is listening, empathic listening. Um, reflective listening, really paying attention to the patient um, and their families and meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means meeting them in their own theological uh, experience, in their own lived experience. Um, and also, if they're not religious at all, meeting them there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my approach is a humanistic spiritual care approach. So beyond serving people of all faiths, I also really come in with the uh, intention to serve the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's great. And so when when we're encountering some of this, so a lot of times in a hospital setting, we, we have to, we deal with a lot of uh, trauma, grief, and bereavement of folks. And so um, when you encounter patients in those matters, so for instance, if you have a patient that's maybe long-term care, uh, end-of-life situation we're in palliative care um, and you know you're dealing with the family they're going through their grieving and then you're dealing with the patient and they're going through their grieving like what are some of like is there anything that you help the patient and the family go through to go through that process of grieving yeah 
The most important thing I can do is to create a space for the patient and the family to safely express their grief and to safely express their emotions. Um, as human beings, we have a full range of emotions and we all express them in our own way. Sometimes grief can be very explosive and very um, very uh, effervescent, if you, if you will. Sometimes grief can be very quiet and very gentle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, we deal with it in different ways. And so my, my priority is to make sure that the patient and the family um, have a space in which they can express their grief in the way that is right and authentic for them. That's one thing. Another thing is um, I work on the palliative care team, and so I'm the chaplain for the palliative care team. And as you know, that means that I care for patients who have long-term illness, mm -hmm. um, for patients with whom we are treating pain and, and symptoms. Um, and sometimes I also uh, i am caring for patients who are at the end of their life. Um, and one of the things that I uh, have to do is listen very carefully and accept and hold space for um, for expressions that sometimes are difficult. So for instance, um, one of the things I struggle with uh, is this very adversarial uh, relationship that we have with death and dying. Mm -hmm. So you often hear people say things like, uh, well, we're not gonna give up. We're gonna keep fighting. We're gonna fight and we're gonna fight and fight. And um, that's not a space that, that is, uh, I think, very realistic um, or helpful. Sometimes we are prolonging death mm. rather than um, than accepting the natural course of life and so what I try to do is listen and really hold those very genuine feelings and expressions and also in a gentle way and in a way that is appropriate for each person to help them maybe move from an adversarial approach to, to life and to death to more of a, an approach of acceptance mm -hmm. um, we're not giving up this is not about giving up mm -hmm. This is not about uh, giving in. Mm. This is about accepting that the body is done. Mm. Um, and so sometimes that's successful. Sometimes it's not appropriate. Sometimes, you know, I need to affirm the yeah. patient and the family. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. And, um, and to really cultivate their sense of hope. Mm. Um, to not take anything that is hopeful away, but to rather help them cultivate that and preserve that sense of hope. Um, and assurance that even though things may not go the way we would want them to be, that we are going to try our best. Mm. Um, so that, that those are some of the things that I that I deal with in my day to day work. Um, I work very closely with uh, you know the medical staff uh, on our palliative care team and um, just listening to them as well and caring for them um, mm. in their work. They have very difficult yeah. work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, speaking of that, so we're, we're, we're talking about, um, dealing with a lot of pain for folks, a lot of trauma for folks, a lot of, a lot of loss for folks. And so, um, sometimes that weighs on our own. Mm -hmm. And, and so what are some of the things like you do personally to, to help you, uh, take care of your own spirit? Mm. Uh, that's a really good question because you're absolutely right. I mean, there are days um, that I come home and I have been with a lot of grief all day. Um, sometimes, you know, two or three families right after another experiencing very tragic loss. Um, and it does weigh on you because we're human mm -hmm. <laughs> and we are very, we tend to be pretty empathic in this line of work. Um, and so I do uh, need to prioritize my own care. And it means that I don't bring a lot of that home. 
I'm very fortunate that I work with other chaplains with whom I can debrief, with whom I can um, consult, and you know, very in a very real way say, I just had a really heart-wrenching situation and I need to talk about it. Mm. And to have that opportunity to talk about it is so valuable to me. Um, that way I can come home and I can be fully present and available to my partner and my children and who also nurture me spiritually and emotionally. Um, so those are things I do. I, you know, my spiritual practice is very important in terms of my self-care. Um, and, uh, you know, working with my, my therapist and working with my spiritual director, all of those things are things that I am very proactive about in terms of caring for my own mm-hmm. um, uh, feelings and emotions and my own spirituality and humanity. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And so um, I usually tell people, like, I'm a chaplain 24-7, even though I try to leave everything at the hospital and everything else like that. But when I'm out in the community and, like, in the neighborhood, you know, I'm always searching for ways to help people through through their grief, through their life that they're dealing with. And so... One of the key things with that is that, you know, that's how Story Wagon came about was mm-hmm. is basically an extension of chaplaincy for me. Yeah. And, you know, trying to help educate people about moral injury and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, grief and bereavement and all the different other spiritual health issues that we that we see in the hospital and trying to do it in more of a preventative way. Um and that's I do that through the church. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you said that you're part of the Remay Center. Yes, that's and, right. And so I'm wondering, like, what some, what are some of the spiritual health issues that you bring, and an awareness for your community from the Remay Center, and how, to, how what does that look like? Well, um, that's a, I love that question. Uh, in Buddhism, there are three jewels. Um, the three precious jewels are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Mm-hmm. And Sangha is, uh, is a word that originally meant monastic community, and it still means that. But it has, as Buddhism has spread and, and flourished, it really has grown to encompass a community of fellow practitioners, whether we are uh, monastic or lay, uh, ordained or lay practitioners. So we really emphasize community at the Rimei Center. And what that looks like is that um, we spend a lot of time in fellowship. We uh, do our practices together. We have communal practices. We also um, have a lot of classes that we offer at the Rimei Center where people have an opportunity to come together and, and learn together and learn from each other. We bring in a lot of guest um, teachers um, from around the world. Um, and we also do a lot of community service. We have a homeless outreach program mm-hmm. where we uh, provide food every week um, and other basic necessities in homeless camps. We also have a prison outreach program. So all of these things really foster uh, uh, a sense of community. What, what I we have outreach, but also what I like to call inreach, which is caring for our own community as well as as we try to care for the community outside our walls. Um, those are some of the things that we do at the Remay Center. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have you know regular weekly services, just like uh, other churches do. Um, and um, yeah, those are some of the things we do together. Yeah, that's great. So the. Uh one of the key things that I'm wondering about with when when concerning the homeless population or just anybody in general that who might not be um, a practicing Buddhist, um, I wonder, are there ways that you help 
teach ritual to folks sometimes, you know. So, like, again, you know, with um, the story wagon, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate the community to help their neighbor in processing their grief or processing their trauma and things like that. And one of the key things that I like to do is the ritual of storytelling. Mm. So, like, help, helping people understand storytelling is a, is a, a ritual and, yes. and it's a good practice. It's a spiritual yes. discipline. It's a spiritual practice. Is there anything that, that you like to, to, to give to the community on that yeah. level? Um, so, first of all, I love that you said that because I think Buddhism, like all other major world religions and really world cultures... Um, is an oral tradition. It yeah. starts as an oral tradition, and what that means is it starts with people sitting together, listening to stories and listening to each other. Mm-hmm. And in a very real sense, for me, that means making meaning mm-hmm. uh, of who we are uh, individually and in community. So yes, it's, it's definitely an oral tradition, um, but also from a very specifically Buddhist perspective, one of the one of the principles or one of the three marks of existence, as the Buddha taught, is impermanence. Right? And what impermanence is, is the sense that all things, all phenomena, all people um, are impermanent. There, there will be an end. Just as there's a beginning and a middle, there is an end. And what that should do for us when we practice with a sense of impermanence is that it should make us really focused in the present moment. It should make us very aware mm. uh, moment to moment. This is what is... Uh, typically called mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, this moment-to-moment awareness. And really what that means is that we are p- fully present. And I think that although that is an emphasis in the Buddhist practice and the Buddhist tradition, I think that that's something that universally we can benefit from. So what that looks like for me when I am encountering a person who is not Buddhist, and and again, there's never any intention to proselytize it actually kind of goes against our religion to to proselytize. So we don't do that. Um, But what it means is that I want to help create a space for the patient to be fully present to their moment. Um, We spend so much time worrying about the future and anxious and regretting the past, right? But when we can be fully present to the moment, it means that we are aware and we attend to all of our emotions as they are arising right now. So if I'm angry, I can attend to that. If I'm afraid, I can attend to that. If I'm joyful or happy, excited, I can attend to that and fully live into that moment. Um, that is something that I bring. And it can be pretty, It can, I suppose you could call it ritual. Um, because what it means is that we are very intentionally paying attention to our bodies, mm-hmm. paying attention to our breath. As you know, in trauma, Trauma is experienced in the body and so, and through the senses. So how do we move away from these dissociative states where even our own body is not safe for us um, and into a place of full embodiment where we can be safely living into our body and into our senses? And that means paying attention here and now. So a lot of things I do are sort of like grounding exercises, you yeah. know, the kinds of things that you would be given as trauma interventions. Right. Uh, how do you experience through all five of your senses? Paying attention to your breath. Um, uh, sometimes I offer those kinds of interventions. Of, let's just sit and, and pay attention to our breath and be with our breath and notice it mm. and be aware of what emotions we are experiencing right now. And that can feel like a ritual. Um, and I like ritual. I, I, I think we need to reclaim that word, ritual. Right. Yeah, it's not <laughs> There's a, a lot thing. of stigma associated to it, but, um, but it's, a good, it's a good 
it's a good thing I think a healthy right uh, mechanism for meaning making yeah that's so that's so awesome I'm glad you you mentioned that because that's one of the key things like from the trauma-informed care perspective that whenever a person starts to get into that uh, the amygdala part the 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 survival part of their brain mm-hmm. uh, fight flight or freeze sort of thing you know uh, mindfulness is one of the things that puts you back into your yes. prefrontal cortex area where you can logically think and mm-hmm. and control your body and things like that so yes thank absolutely. you for mentioning that mm-hmm. yeah so um so let's say there's a person out there that's listening to this podcast and they want to get in touch with you. How do how do they get in touch with you? Well, um, that's a good question. <laughs> you can send me an email if you like. Yeah. Um, I have a very easy email to remember. It's chaplainsergio at gmail.com. Um, I'm not really on any social media um, platforms, yeah. but most of my work happens in the hospital. Uh-huh. Uh, I have done a little bit of spiritual direction as well. Um, and I spend a lot of time at the Rume Center where I facilitate the basics of Buddhism class and sometimes uh, also meditation instruction. Yeah. So you can find me there. A well, what's lot. the Rume's website? Uh, RumeCenter.org. RumeCenter.org. Okay. Yeah. And Rume is R-I-M-E. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people think it's rhyme because it looks like it's rhyme, but it's Rume. R-I-M-E. <laughs> um, so those are some ways to reach me, and I'm always happy to talk to people and, um, and listen to their stories. Um, like you... Um, I am very much interested in story and storytelling. I think that that is what makes us human. Amen. You know, the fact that we <laughs> that we have stories, that we tell stories, that that's how we make meaning and find our place of belonging in the world um, is so important. And so um, I'm always happy to listen to other people's stories as well and share my own. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Sergio, for um, coming on to the podcast and um I look forward to, to working with you some more and maybe we can have you on again. Absolutely. All right. Thank well, you for your work. Thank you very much. And on that note, we'll call that a wrap for this episode of Story Wagon. I want to thank you, the listener, for supporting us and listening to this episode. And if you want, please follow us on any social media platform and type in Story Wagon. You can also visit us at a website, storywagon.org. And so with that... This is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.